Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to say a big thank you for listening in this morning on our weekly radio broadcast. As I've mentioned before, this weekly radio broadcast is one of several different opportunities that our church is offering during this strange season in which we find ourselves, although I am encouraged that we're moving out of it. We still want to offer as many possible different engagement points as we can as different individuals are able to connect in different ways. And so we have this weekly radio broadcast. We also have a weekly on-campus gathering and an online gathering every Sunday morning. If you go to collegehills.org, you can find out more about when those on-campus gatherings are at 1401 Leville Pike, or you can find out about when we're doing our live streaming through YouTube. We would encourage you to go there and find out more about our church our different ministries, and just to get to know us a little bit better. We would love for you to come and visit us at some point, so always know that you're welcome if and when you can make it. If you're not able to make our weekly radio broadcast each week and hear it when it goes live, also know that we will put this weekly radio broadcast in the form of a podcast on Monday or Tuesday morning of each week. Every Monday or Tuesday, we will put both the pulpit sermon and the radio sermon out for people to listen to. So if you go to your local iTunes account or wherever you may listen to a podcast and simply search College Hills Church, you'll be able to find our church's podcast. You can subscribe to it. And in the beginning of every week, you'll be able to find our weekly radio sermon and our weekly pulpit Sermon. Again, a variety of different ways that we're trying to make available right now as people are trying to find different ways of connecting. Our hope and our goal is that you can continue to keep your faith nourished, continue to keep yourself fed, even as we are trying to to figure out uh, what is going to happen next. We still want our faith to remain this center core stable place. And hopefully these different resources and opportunities can be beneficial to you in some way. This morning, we're going to be wrapping up our series that we've been going through for the last couple of months. We've been calling it Snapshots of Good News. And the reason why we've been calling it Snapshots is because there are these variety of places in the Gospels, these different passages, parables, encounters of Jesus that that are, are just this small snapshot of who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. But if you linger like you would over a picture and you begin to pay attention to details and textures and you really sit with a snapshot or you sit with a picture, often new and interesting and vivid details can emerge and you can learn new things about who Jesus is and what Jesus was about. But we don't want it to just be a series about looking at and learning about Jesus. We also are trying to to add in this element of living out those things that we learn, those things that we see, those insights that we have, that, that we also want those to shape our life into particular kinds of people to help us become people who live out the good news. As we look at it, we also live it out. And I think today's passage is is, it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and therefore I'm especially excited about it because I think it's a, a passage that 
for some of us, it's going to be a very, very familiar snapshot. It's a passage that you've probably heard many times before, but I want us to just linger over it a bit longer today, hopefully, hopefully so that we might see some some new texture, a new angle, a new insight that could actually shape our life. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at a parable that I don't actually want to say the name of the parable, because often when we name a parable, we kind of tilt the scales of how we're going to read the parable. And so it's a parable in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to be starting in verse 25 and reading until verse 32. Uh, Excuse me, we're going to be reading in verse 11 and then until verse 32. So Luke 15, 11 through 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. 
My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these words of Scripture and these words of Jesus that continue to speak to us. And I pray even though that this parable is a familiar one, I pray this morning that you would speak a fresh word, that you would pour through me the gift of preaching and teaching and help me to speak a word that's faithful to who you are and to who you are calling us to be. God, thank you so much for hearing us and listening to us, and I pray now that as we listen to you and listen for your voice, that you would speak to us and transform us more into the image of your Son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I still remember feeling shocked and offended by the moment. More accurately, I still remember being shocked and offended by the person. I do not remember all of the specifics, but I remember being a teenager and this being the last night of a gospel meeting that our church hosted. These gospel meetings, if you've ever been to one before, would always start on Sunday and culminate on Wednesday with a compelling invitation offered at the end by the guest speaker. This particular gospel meeting was no different. On this closing Wednesday night, our speaker offered the invitation. But before he closed his sermon, he told a compelling story of a man in his life who recently had responded to God on his deathbed. He told the story of sitting with the man, embracing him, and celebrating with him as he opened himself to Jesus. After telling this story, we stood for the invitation, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye someone walking to the front. But instead of going to the preacher who had just offered the invitation, they turned and whispered to one of our church leaders instead. That leader grabbed another leader, and they headed out into the hallway. A few minutes later, they emerged summoned the guest preacher out into the hallway, and we kept on singing even though no one was paying a bit of attention to the songs anymore. We were all wondering what was about to happen in the hallway. A few minutes later, those leaders and the guest preacher returned, and they explained the reason for the hallway meeting. The concerned member who approached the leader had concerns about some of the details of this deathbed conversion story. They wanted some more specifics about what exactly happened on his deathbed and how it happened. This concerned member was hesitant to embrace and celebrate the story until he had some more specifics and conditions about this dying man's road to salvation. So the leaders made the guest preacher stand up and clarify the details of the story at the end of the service. I remember the moment vividly for two reasons. First, it was one of the first times in my life when I was tempted to use colorful language in a church building. Second, 
I remember being shocked and offended by the audacity of this concerned member who stood at a distance unwilling to celebrate this conversion story without first knowing all the details. I remember asking to myself, how could they choose to be so distant from a moment of celebration? How could they choose to to stand far off because they weren't sure if this moment of celebration met their criteria? After the service, and for many Sundays to come, because I held those questions so closely, I kept distance from that member. I kept distance from them for keeping distance from the celebration story. This gospel meeting moment and my experience with this concerned member bubbled up into my memory as I wrestled with Luke 15 this week, and specifically with our text for this morning. That feeling of shock and offense returned to my heart and the memory returned to my mind. You can't read through Luke 15 without feeling some shock, surprise, and offense. Jesus tells three parables here, and if parables are intended to do anything, they're intended to shock us. Parables are intended to tease our minds, stir our emotions, and raise some questions for us. Reading a parable about a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to just find one is shocking. Reading a parable about a woman who turns her house upside down for one lost coin is surprising. Reading a parable about a father who runs shamelessly, embraces wildly, and throws a party for a rebellious son raises all kinds of questions about the nature of God and faith. Yes, we know these parables well, and because of our familiarity, we kind of tone them down and we round off their edges. But for someone hearing these parables for the first time, they are doing exactly what a parable is supposed to do. They are intended to leave us off center. Luke 15 is intended to shock us, surprise us, and raise some questions for us to consider further. And that intention, that intention is especially true for our passage this morning that focuses more on the older brother. Because we read this story of his response to the younger brother, and if we linger in it just a moment, we are shocked and offended. This older brother's reaction is shocking and offensive because for the majority of the parable, we don't know much about the older brother. The reason we don't know much about the older brother is because he's only briefly mentioned at the beginning. So we know of him, but we don't know him. Yet, very soon after he enters the scene, we get an idea of the kind of son he is, the kind of person that he is. After being in the field from a day of hard, faithful work, this older brother approaches the house that he had entered so many times before. But this time is different. 
because there is music thumping from inside the walls of the house. There is something going on on the inside. The older brother then does what any of us would do. He inquires to someone in the household about the source of this thumping music. It's then that he is informed that his younger brother has returned home safe and sound and their father has killed a fattened calf to celebrate his return. The response of the brother to this news is when we begin to get insight into who he is because we're told he has two initial reactions to this news. Then he became angry and refused to go in. Then he became angry and refused to go in. The first response of the brother is anger. He is angry because of the party. The second response of this brother is equally important to notice. He refuses to go in. The older brother chooses to stay outside and be angry instead of going in and enjoying the party and music. It's important that we read what he says in order to fully understand this twofold reaction. He is angry and refuses to go in because of the guest list and the conditions of the party. Not only is the party for the younger son, and not him, the older brother, but it's also a party for the very son who rebelled, not for the one who was actually obedient his whole life. For the older brother, the entire party is unfair because of who it's for and the reason it's being held. For the older brother, the response and reason of this father does not seem fair or reasonable. So in order to make a point, in order to show that he does not condone this behavior, in order to show that he disagrees with the purpose of and the person of this party, the concerned older brother is hesitant to embrace and celebrate this one who has returned home. The concerned older brother chooses to stay outside and grumble to voice his disapproval. If you've been reading Luke 15, then you know this is not the first time this response has happened. What the older brother did, the way he responds, is the exact same way that the Pharisees and scribes were responding to the ministry of Jesus and what he was doing. Both are cases of people grumbling over a guest list and the conditions of a party. Both are cases of people hesitant to celebrate and embrace this one who has returned home. The older brother's response at the end of Luke 15 is identical to the response of the Pharisees and scribes at the beginning of Luke 15. If you're like me, then then this response at the beginning and the end, that of the older brother and the Pharisees, it, it should bother you if you're like me. It's bothersome. Because if you're like me, then, then you're probably a bit shocked and offended by their response to the joy. How can this brother be so self-centered and arrogant that he cannot see the good thing happening? 
How can these Pharisees and scribes be so self-righteous that they can't see the good thing happening in their midst? Have these two groups not discovered grace? Are they still so legalistic? How could they respond with such self-righteous pride to the loving grace of God? The older brother in the story and the Pharisees and scribes who are listening to the story respond in similar ways, and I think it's shocking. How could anyone be so cold to such a warm celebration? Who do they think they are to monitor the guest list of a party that they are not hosting? There is a lot about how this brother responds that I find bothersome and offensive. But but I believe the real shock of this story The real punch of this parable has nothing to do with how the older brother responds to the younger brother and everything to do with how the father responds to the older brother. That's the real shock for me, and I think it might be for you too. This is fundamentally a parable about a father, not sons. From the very first line of Jesus, we read him say this, There was a man who had two sons. Jesus places the initial focus on the father. And everything should be read in relation to this father for the rest of the story. His responses, his behavior, what he does. And even though we sometimes misname this parable and we call it the parable of the prodigal son, we we still eventually get around to the powerful image of a father running after the lost son while he was a long way off. We still, rightly so, give plenty of attention to this generous love of God for the lost, rebellious son who made his way home. But then, but then we too often tilt the focus for this final scene away from the father. We often focus not on the fathers, but on the response of the older brother. The brother then becomes kind of like a long shadow and an ominous warning of how we should not be. How dare the brother, how dare these Pharisees and scribes act with such grumbling and distance. And so we go on to warn those listening Don't be like these self-righteous people who are too busy checking a guest list to hear the music. Because we say their response is shocking and offensive to us. But the real shock, the real stun, the real shocking and stunning response is not from them, but from the Father to them. Even while the older brother was a long way off in his anger and refused to go into the party, the father went out to him and pleaded with him. He pleaded with him. He did not scold. He did not shame. He did not threaten. He did not do all of the things we typically do to the older brother. No. He pleaded with him. He went out to him in the same way he went out to the younger brother. And what he says to the older brother is 
critical for us to hear. The Father says, You were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. The father responds to the older brother with the exact same spirit that he responds with to the younger brother. The status and security of the older brother is never threatened because another person gets the father's love because he has it as well. Even when the older brother throws a fit, questions the conditions of the party, and grumbles from a distance. The father still goes out to him to reaffirm his identity and love for him. Nothing could separate him from the love of his father, not even his arrogant anger. Nothing could separate the Pharisees and scribes from the love of God, not even a self-righteous spirit. The shock of the parable, the thing that raises all kinds of questions, is not how the older brother responds to the younger brother, but how the father responds to the older brother. And that, that response raises all kinds of questions about how we respond to the older brother. Because the real temptation for me is to become the older brother to the older brother. The real temptation for me is to become the older brother to the Pharisees and scribes. Before I know it, I can find myself distancing myself from them in self-righteous anger and offense. The real temptation for me is to become the other brother. The other brother who wants to take the guest list from the older brother and not let him in. The other brother who wants to separate myself from those obsessed with separating themselves. The other brother who wants to proudly claim my discovery of grace, but refuses to distribute that same grace to those who make preachers clarify conversion stories at the end of sermons. Thanks be to God that He runs out to younger brothers returned home. And thanks be to God that He runs out to older brothers who do not want to party. Thanks be to God that he runs out to Pharisees and scribes and teachers of the law. Thanks be to God that he runs after deathbed confessors and concerned members. Thanks be to God that he still runs out to you and he still runs out to me. Amen.